This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a great Easter Monday. We, uh, The long weekend is past us now. I hope you had a good one uh, with family and friends and some good eats. I know we had some pretty good eats on the weekend. Uh, really... Um Fill the old belly. Feels good, I must say. Well, uh, the Bank of Canada raised its key interest rate to 1% last week. That's the highest rate increase in more than 20 years, and it's leading to much speculation on the impact on the real estate market and mortgage holders as as a whole, um, You know, especially those with variable mortgage rates. Well, someone who has warned us about this impending increase and ways to, I guess, insulate you uh, is my guest. Yes, today, um, the one um, percent uh, uh, key interest rate now equates to an extra one hundred dollars or so on a four hundred fifty thousand dollar variable rate mortgage, which for some people is easy to absorb, and for others is a little tougher these days with increasing uh, grocery and other um, inflationary rates. Is it too late to lock in? Will the interest rate increase have an impact on real estate? Will it? work to cool inflation? Well, here to discuss some of that is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth here in St. John's. Hello. Hello. So uh, what does the latest Bank of Canada interest rate increase actually mean? Uh, So as you pointed out, it does uh, mean uh, that mortgage rates have uh, started to move up, as we talked about last time we had a chat here, Um, and we expect that the interest rates will continue to rise um, over the next year, um, maybe uh, as much as the next two years. Uh, Some of the speculation out there is that we would see interest rates go up by a full two percentage points from where we are now. So the first increase has been a half of 1%, which is the largest single increase in the last 20 years. Um, But if indeed we do see another 2% tacked onto that, that's when it's going to really start having an impact on people who are are holding um, variable rate mortgages. But I do have to clarify, um, on Twitter, a gentleman by the name of Mike asked me, um, you know, does it mean that all the variable rate mortgages go up um, when interest rates rise? And the answer is no. There are certain variable rate mortgages out there that are geared so that the monthly payment is fixed and the amount that is applied to your principal changes. So that's that's kind of unique, right? What it means then is that if you had a 25-year mortgage term um, uh, mortgage and interest rates went up, it meant that you didn't get to pay off your mortgage in 25 years. It meant that the term of the mortgage would get extended. So be careful um, if if you have either one of those um, mortgages. The key part is to contact your financial institution and make sure you understand the impact of rising interest rates on your variable rate mortgage. Same goes with your home equity line of credit. If you have any floating lines of credit out there, just be very careful that you may get jammed if indeed um, the monthly payment increases when interest rates uh, go up. Right. And uh, with the variable rate that you're saying is a fixed, you know, you have a fixed monthly payment. 
do people know that off the top or they might have forgotten that they have that kind of a mortgage well that's the key that's a key element you know the last time we chatted we were talking about what are the strategies that each individual should have when it comes to all of their finances not just their mortgage I mean the key part is somewhere in your house or uh, you should have a file that says here's what your mortgage terms and conditions are on top of other things like your retirement savings plan what that looks like and what your tax file looks like and the key part is to just understand how interest rates affect you so if indeed you can go and pull your mortgage and easily find because you know the jargon that's in our industry is extraordinary sometimes you have to contact your financial institution uh, and get in writing you know what is uh, you know the answer to that simple question what is the impact of interest rates rising uh, what is the impact on my home equity line of credit, my credit cards, and or my mortgage? And so that you fully understand uh, what's going to happen to you. Because the key part is you never want to wake up one day and find out that your bank account is overdrawn because payments have gone up to the point where you can't make them. And that's when people really panic and they make some usually pretty awful decisions uh, when they panic. So for you, for everybody, the key part is if you don't if you're not sure how interest rates are going to affect you contact your financial institution and get in writing and I want to emphasize that so there's no misunderstanding how interest rates rising will affect your particular circumstance right and it's easy to forget if you're not paying close attention um, you know that mortgage comes out automatically uh, once twice a month and uh, and all of a sudden you realize hey wait a minute I thought we had more money in the bank than this how come you know and then you realize oh my payment has gone up right particularly if it's on both your mortgage and your home equity line of credit if you have both of these things happening and 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 again that's that's if it goes up by one two percent but if we get some sort of shock happening if we get some exceptional circumstances uh, arising where suddenly um, uh, inflation spikes even further, uh, then we could be looking at beyond a uh, 2% hike. Um, so, so the key to all of this is, you know, back to my uh, charter financial planning uh, days, is the fact that you need to understand what's happening with your money. Is it too late to lock in? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, so so that people can understand what's happening. Why you know why is interest are interest rates rising? There's really um, four factors, and the first one is the pent up demand, and you can see that when you're trying to book a flight anywhere these days, people want to get out and they want to fly and they want to travel and they'd like to maybe uh, upgrade their house, you know, put an addition on. Um, or even buy or, you know, a replacement for their automobile. So we have all of these demands out there where people have not made the, you know, the changes that they would like to make. Uh, and that pent-up demand is uh, continuing. And then on top of that, we have um, the major move around the world, which is the conversion of um, uh, energy from oil-based to renewables. And that's affecting us all. And then there's the shortages that are sh showing up to compound everything. Uh, China basically manufactures everything from, from uh, batteries and storage, uh, energy storage units to barbecues 
just about everything that you you see in the dollar store is coming from China, and they're still going through COVID lockdowns. So there's still major shortages that are showing up there. And then recently, the Russia-Ukraine war has caused uh, a shortage on oil and natural gas. And then on top of that, uh, in the background has been the government's efforts uh, to get us through COVID by having ultra-low interest rates plus economic spending. So there's four factors there that have contributed to uh, the inflationary situation that we're in. On that, the fourth one is the one that we see dropping down a bit, but um, uh, overall the shortages that are occurring and particularly the energy conversion um, element, that is going to be continuing for at least the the next uh, year, year and a half uh, until we start to see at least some elements of renewable energy catch up and possibly running out four or five years. So it's not something that is going to be turned off tomorrow. Um, we, we are seeing some things happening where housing uh, prices are starting to come off a bit, and that indicates that that uh, demand for new houses may drop a bit. But overall, uh, that 2% forecast for or that forecast for a 2% increase in interest rates looks quite realistic and may actually go higher. Wow. I want to um, talk a little bit more about that when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And my guest today is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. And we're talking about another increase in the um, key lending rate uh, set by the Bank of Canada. And why are rates increasing, Larry? So uh, let's start again with the uh, the fact that the uh, price of oil is probably one of the, the, the key factors driving up um, the cost of everything because you cannot... Um, you know, you have to ship, you have to be able to move uh, products from one place to another simply because um, it, there's no other way to distribute it throughout uh, this great country of ours. So as the price of oil has gone up, that has to be uh, translated over and, and included in uh, the cost, the price of, of uh, everything from automobiles to barbecues to food. And that... Um, uh, element alone, uh, you know, as we've seen as of recent times, um, has been affected by the attempt by the world to convert from um, oil over into uh, renewable resources. Well, the problem with that is that many oil companies now can no longer get uh, the money needed in order to drill new oil fields. And we need new oil fields every year because roughly 3% of the existing oil fields uh, stop producing. So in a run of, of, of a two or three year period, uh, going back to you know, 2019 to, to now, um, the various uh, oil companies, particularly those that are listed on the various stock exchanges, have had shareholder revolts um, to prevent them from drilling new fields. In addition to that, the banks and insurance companies and pension funds, <clears throat> excuse me, that would normally finance the oil companies, have been told by their shareholders they're not allowed to. So, the 
the supply of money needed for oil companies to go and explore has dried up to a large extent. It's in some cases still available, but it's more expensive. And as a reaction, many oil companies have just decided not to drill to replace the uh, oil that is being depleted from their fields. And instead, what they're doing is focusing instead on harvesting as much oil as they can currently. Um, they're focusing on uh, increasing their dividends and buying back shares and eventually allowing um, their fields to deplete. So in the short run, that doesn't seem like, well, big deal, but when you take 3% per year and you compound it, it doesn't take very long for a significant uh, shortage to arise um, in demand versus supply in the, in the oil industry and for us to see oil prices creep higher. Then on top of that, of course, um, was the Ukrainian-Russian uh, war, and there, uh, effectively, Russia uh, is being shut out of, uh, of the world market, not completely, but you, you, Russia produces about 3 million barrels of oil a day, which again is about 3% of world production, and that really shuts down the um, the supply there. So the net effect is that we've had that increase in oil prices, and that's translating through to be one element in why the price of everything has been rising. So how do lending rates then help to curb that? How, do, how does it curb inflation? It, uh, it doesn't curb it on the, on the energy side. It does curb it on the other side. So as, as the price of everything has risen, so let's look at lumber, for example. So as the price of, of uh, uh, transporting lumber, uh, even cutting, you know, tree, you need the uh, chainsaws to, to, and, and the equipment in order to uh, get into the woods and cut uh, uh, lumber and mill it, et cetera, as, as the uh, price of, of those uh, elements have risen, um, it's effectively causing a bit of a, a feedback loop where, loop where people then are hesitating to uh, build new houses or, um, and, and uh, that in com- combined with the interest rate is starting to slow down housing demand and starting to slow down demand in general in the economy. So as the price of everything rises, people start to cut back on usually the luxury goods first, um, uh, and 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 then over time they start to move to uh, elements that are that are more cost saving. They start to spend less. But right now, because of the other element that we talked about, which is which is the pent up demand, people have felt that uh, they've been in COVID lockdown for two years. So now they want to travel. They want to go and see uh, their their family and friends around the world. They want to see get on vacations. So that is clashing with the fact that the price of things have, are rising, and as a consequence, um, it'll take a little while before the net effect of rising interest rates starts to slow down demand in in those sectors. The federal government has been under some pressure for some time, and now we have this uh, liberal NDP I can not merger, but you know what I'm saying. There's an agreement Holy between shit. the two parties. Yeah. And um, one of the platforms of the NDP has always been to address some of these overinflated uh, real estate prices, particularly in big areas like Toronto and Vancouver. But we've seen that spreading to other areas as well as people during COVID got sick of living in those urban centers and started spreading out. And, and you saw real estate uh, prices go up everywhere. Is this sort of a reaction to that, uh, this overheated real estate market? in some places in Canada? It, it is to a degree, but also remember uh, the Canadian population is growing by 500,000 people a year, mostly through immigration. 
so all of those people need to have homes uh, in some form, um, whether it's apartments or, or, or the like. So that's a big driver of uh, real estate, um, while at the same time, during the COVID crisis, many uh, lumber mills and um, building contractors just shut down production. And then on top of that, we had uh, China, who supply a lot of the nails and fittings and uh, bathroom fixtures, etc. that they uh, then shut down shipments. So you can see that the net combination of these elements are all contributing to uh, driving up the price of everything and um, and causing inflation, which brings me to the other element, which is the shortages out of China um, that we started to see some easing of there about a month and a half ago. So the thought was, you know, maybe maybe when these um, uh, products start to be shipped again, and it's, and it's not just China; it's also Taiwan. Taiwan produces a lot of the um, semiconductor microchips that are needed. Um, in uh, automobile production. Um, so the net effect is that, that you know, we saw the price of cars and used vehicles in particular move up dramatically in price. So we started to see some of those things ease, but COVID now has hit uh, China again. Their policy is to shut down entire cities um, in order to stop the spread of COVID, and that has a follow-on effect. So so the, the speed with which these... Uh, th- that supply chain was uh, becoming repaired has now uh, slowed again, but one can hope that within the next year to year and a half we'll at least see that start to ease, which means that at some point we're going to see a big load of boats headed from uh, China, Asia, um, uh, over here with products that have been in um, short supply, and that then starts to get prices um, to drop off a bit. So it's not a, a complete, you know, a, a one. It's not a straight line necessarily that we will continue to have more and more inflation. At some points here, the shortages will start to ease, and that should start to bring down the inflation rate on on top of a cut in demand as prices have uh, increased and interest rates increase. So this will take a while. Yes, the, the one the one coming up though that I don't think people are really aware of is um, uh, fertilizer costs. So we've seen oil prices rise because of what has been happening in, um, uh, particularly in in, in uh, Russia, with the with the demand for oil going up in general around the world, while the speed with which alternate energy uh, sources um, uh, have not been able to replace. Um, you know, coal-fired power stations and gas-powered uh, stations, particularly in Europe, etc. We've seen that drive up the price of oil. But the other thing that is produced by natural gas, which is also in shortage, um, uh, in the same way that oil is, is fertilizer. So the so as fertilizer prices rise. Uh, we will also see a follow-on effect on that on food costs as well. So that's still coming. And if you want to just see an example of that, if you go to your local gardening center and just see how much fertilizer prices have just risen locally 
compared to last year, you could be in for a bit of a shock. So that's a follow-on element that's coming. But this is what I'm saying. It's not a single element here that is driving up inflation, and therefore there's one way to treat it. It is, it is four separate factors here, uh, each uh, building on each other, and some of them easing over the next year. Uh, and it, the key is to keep an eye on, or what we do in our side of our business is we keep an eye on all four to say here's where uh, people uh, should be aware of costs increasing and or opportunities arising for investment, for example. So in the same way that we talk about how interest rates have gone up on mortgages, they've also gone up on guaranteed investment certificates. So GICs at your local bank may actually have increased quite nicely for you. And many in investors over the last number of years have reluctantly been dragged kicking and screaming into the stock market because returns have been so good, but they really don't want to be in there because they get nervous when stock markets fall over a three or five or 10 day or even three month period or even two years. But they're in there because there's no other choice because there's nothing guaranteed that they could get a decent rate on. And suddenly now we're looking at interest rates for one year being above 2% at at many local banks. And in some cases, almost 4% for, uh, in some cases, up to five years. So there's the silver lining with all of this discussion about how interest rates are rising is that individuals who would normally choose to be in GICs and couldn't be over the last number of years now are finally getting some uh, opportunities to earn guaranteed investments uh, that they don't have to worry about. Well, my, uh, my guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. When we come back, Larry, you mentioned fertilizer, but I want to talk to you about the impact of uh, food demand, for instance. Um, Ukraine and Russia, big uh, suppliers of food and grains in particular, uh, to the European market, no doubt, and what that will mean. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the VIX when we come back oh, right after this. Okay, sure. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. My guest today is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. And you spoke about uh, fertilizer and watching very closely what's happening there in terms of supply. And of course, that's what uh, feeds the soil. Uh, But what about food demand itself? I mean, uh, Ukraine and Russia, both very big producers of uh, grains and wheats and that sort of thing. Uh, What will happen now? Um, No doubt uh, Ukrainian farmers haven't really had a lot of time to start sowing those fields. Yes, and uh, the Russian side uh, is, is not necessarily disrupted by the war itself, whereas Ukraine obviously is. It's the Russian side, whether or not there are going to be sanctions against uh, buying Russian wheat and other grains. Uh, so those are additional elements that I was talking about that, again, we won't really see the net effect of that until probably um, late uh, July, uh, going into September, uh, when the harvest is supposed to come in for a lot of the the uh, grains for that are uh, grown in Ukraine and Russia. Um, and uh, again, that's what I'm saying is that as different parts of the price pressure uh, changes, uh, pr- the pressure on various prices change over the next. Uh, year, two years, three years, we'll see what that uh, effect that that has on uh, inflation overall and therefore on interest rates itself. 
What kind of decisions now should Canadian farmers be making? I know a lot of farmers have moved to canola. Um, I mean, will there be more demand for Canadian um, agriculture products? With with all of these products, whether it's agricultural products or wood products or um, you know um, microchips, etc., we're seeing the world make uh, decisions about reinvesting uh, into those areas and new uh, plants and factories opening up uh, throughout the world. The recent movement has been towards uh, more of a strategic. Uh, decision to relocate in many cases in North America for manufacturers that went to Asia before uh, in recognition of the fact that the supply chain got disrupted as much as it has. The problem, though, is the lag. It takes a long time to build a factory to make microchips, for example. It takes uh, less time to make a decision about planting more wheat um, or uh, more canola, etc. And we will see the effect of that uh, happened uh, uh, this harvest. It doesn't mean it's, it's enough, though, to completely um, replace Ukraine, which I think is one, either the fourth or fifth largest uh, wheat producer in the world is that one country so, uh, so there's still going to be some elements of, of higher um, prices but that's the way that generally the economy works is that uh, there's a recognition that there's a shortage in a particular area prices uh, go up and then uh, competitors come in to, to replace um, uh, you know traditional suppliers even things like electric vehicles for example there's a huge demand for electric vehicles and now Vietnam of all places is starting to emerge as being uh, a country that you know traditionally didn't make a lot of automobiles for North American consumption but we're starting to see uh, cars coming in from Vietnam um, electric vehicles um, new on the scene so you know we've touched on a lot of things here that are changing rapidly um and it leads to my next question what is the vix <laughs> i think you're not talking about the cold medication or the vapor rub right no that's right uh, yeah you're talking about the stock market uh vix is a, a, a it's a jargon filled term in our industry that basically talks about how volatile the stock market is um, so whenever the stock market falls and rises dramatically, the VIX increases. And it is an indicator of how, uh, it's, it's called an indicator of risk because uh, many people perceive that when they invest in uh, the stock market, they're buying a lottery ticket. They don't really understand in many cases what the underlying investment uh, that they're in, and 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 therefore, you know, what it means when a price drops. So the, the best uh, explainer that I've ever heard about this, uh, and provide an explanation on this is a guy by the name of Warren Buffett who calls uh, essentially the VIX, or uh, he calls it Mr. Market. And that is, in any day at all, Mr. Market will offer to buy the shares from you that you have bought before um, at a particular price or sell the shares back to you. And in many cases, people perceive that um, whenever the VIX increases, is there's a risk that it's going to go a lot worse and things are going to fall a lot further. So in our, in our industry, we've seen uh, people buy mutual funds only after the VIX has calmed down. There's not a lot of volatility and the markets have gone up significantly. And then the, to see them turn around and get scared out when the VIX increases, when the volatility increases and the stock market falls. 
So it, it is an indicator within in our industry to say how volatile the market is. And for many novice investors, it is usually when they get out as opposed to when they get in. So how volatile are the markets right now? They're pretty volatile, particularly if, um, you know, as, as tradition has been, uh, up until November, there was a theme running in the stock markets throughout North America that one would buy high-tech companies um, and that those high-tech companies had reached all-time highs. And anybody who looked at their five-year track record said, wow, these companies have gone up a lot in the last five years. I guess they're going to go up more. And a lot of people invested in those high-tech companies um, in November, some close to you know, all-time in, in, uh, amounts of money going into that sector. Since November, uh, we've had interest rates increase significantly, and when interest rates go up, tends to be that high-tech stocks tend to fall. So that whole sector then started to sell off quite significantly. And uh, and in the measurement of the VIX of that sector, or and because that sector had dominated the stock markets, particularly in the United States, but to a large extent in Canada as well, it meant that uh, the VIX increased, and many people then are looking at uh, prices down quite significantly. So for some of these large uh, high-tech stocks, some cases 30 40 50%, while um, their volatility um, has increased, and that provide, makes people worried that this is only the start of uh, those stocks falling further and uh, have often been scared out of the market at times like this. In contrast, um, the what we actually saw was a shift in the market. So what happened was the, the leadership in the past five years has been predominantly the high-tech companies. Now it is oil and gas and mineral companies. Um, so all of the companies that are benefiting from the shift uh, into mining for those essential materials needed in order to electrify the world, as well as those that... Um, are uh, providing oil uh, and and continue to produce oil, particularly in the face of the um, the, the war between the Ukrainians, Ukrainians and the Russians. Those things have actually gone up. So it, again, depending on where you are in the market and what your investment strategy is, um, in many cases, people again because they don't necessarily understand their underlying investments, they just, they just look at what has happened in the last two, three months, and they get scared out often as the VIX has risen. Did the environmental approval of Beta Nord have any impact on markets? Not directly. It's too small in comparison uh, to the, the, uh, you know, the rest of the world. I mean, obviously, it has a huge effect on the perception of uh, growth opportunities within the, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and it is a symptom of, of what we think that we will see over the next number of years. That is, as these um, oil companies um, have their supply of cash choked off, they have made a decision not to invest in speculative or uh, riskier uh, ventures uh, that may not pay off for a number of years um, where they go looking for more oil. So I think it was either Exxon or Chevron, for example, um, had a project in uh, uh, Asia that they were going to put something in the order of about $20 billion into to see if they could find what looked like oil in a very promising promising oil field. And they, they uh, under pressure from their shareholders plus their banks, uh, canceled looking for there. So what they would choose to do then is focus on oil that's already been found. 
So, in the, so uh, the Beta Nord project is considered to be oil that's already been found. Therefore, the risk of developing that is a lot less than trying to go and find new oil somewhere else. And I wouldn't be surprised to see, by the way, uh, the White Rose uh, extension and um, other fields that have been uh, indicated as uh, being uh, ripe here for harvesting for those to go ahead as well. My guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. Uh, When we come back, Larry, I want to ask you a little bit about the provincial and federal budgets uh, when we come back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. My guest today on On Target is Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. And Larry, what sort of things, you know, given everything that we've talked about here today, what sort of things are your clients most curious or concerned about? Oh, heavens. Uh, So, I mean, obviously that varies by, dramatically by the client. I mean, in every case, uh, what one as as a, a consumer of financial information should be concerned about is what is the, what is your plan and unfortunately many people who are listening here today don't have a financial plan done um, and uh, so you know one's concerns can uh, can pretty much fall out of um, any plan that's done to see here's where there is a problem with either retirement or financing for their house or um, taking care of their health or life insurance um, and it will vary by by the individual um, so the key takeaway for everybody here today is that regardless of whether you're wondering about your uh, GIC investments or your stock market investments or your mortgages is you need to sit down with a competent financial planner uh, who is not a salesperson and 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 if you're if you're trying to see the difference between what a salesperson is and not there if you go to uh, the financial planning centers account Council of Canada and look up the top 10 questions to be asking um, to interview your financial planner they that that is a great way to begin to be able to find somebody we also have that same series of questions on our website at short financial and it, it is a series of uh, we call it the 11 and a, half and a half questions to ask your financial advisor um, to determine whether or not they're working for you or if they're working for their financial institution you need to find somebody who can uh, put together a financial plan for you um, and and therefore you know the concerns that you have are unique to your own circumstances on a larger scale collectively uh, you mentioned the budget of the the province and the federally so two points there one one is that the uh, province of Newfoundland uh, has g- gotten its short-term deficit down to uh, $347 million, I think is what is uh, the, the, the number for this year, which on the surface sounds really, really good because we were looking at a budget deficit of about $800 million when the budget was initially done up uh, as a projection there about a year and a half ago, a year and a bit ago. So that sounds good, but it still means that the province of Newfoundland and Labrador is going to be borrowing $2.7 billion more this year than it did before. And uh, the concern there is, hey, we've got these interest rates rising. So as interest rates tend to go higher, it means that the outstanding deficit that we already have, uh, the, the money that we already owe to the world, as that rolls over, that rolls over at higher interest rates. 
in, in addition to that, the province is not addressing costs. It is still trying to meander its way through, hoping that uh, revenue will pick up somewhere in order to cover the costs. And even though plans have been laid out by um, individuals such as Green in the Green Report, Dane uh, uh, Green, that uh, that we're not seeing action, uh, much uh, action uh, being taken um, on the specific recommendations in order to cut costs. The worry there is that if we don't cut costs now, while things are booming, while iron ore prices are up, oil prices are up, uh, etc., that uh, if we do run into a recession two, three years hence, we'll have to borrow more money at higher interest rates in order to cover our deficit even further. So that's the provincial one. On the federal one, though, there was some really good news, uh, and that was a, a stimulus uh, of $3.8 billion to enhance the Canadian mining industry's ability to provide minerals required for conversion from um, oil over to alternate energy. And while that, why that is important is that uh, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador has just these beautiful rocks, so not only iron ore, but we also have copper here, we've got uh, nickel, we've got um, uh, cobalt, and this is an incentive that the federal government has put in place in order to uh, enhance the ability to find and develop the mines here uh, throughout Canada, but uh, with the f uh, focus on uh, areas such as Newfoundland to be able to uh, take advantage of that. And that provides us an avenue to be able to get off our dependency of oil if indeed we, we pursue it aggressively. In terms of knocking down that deficit or our debt, um, what we tend to do as individuals is uh, look at our assets and say, okay, do I need that second car? Do I need that summer home? Do I need that ATV in the shed? Uh, do I need this house? Um, should we be liquidating our assets? We still don't know what the Rothschild report has come up with. Yes. So, in all fairness to the provincial government, uh, quite frankly, uh, that Rothschild report is kind of equivalent to you paying for uh, an appraisal on your house before you go and list it. I mean, you don't necessarily want to reveal to everybody that here's here's the um, here's the value of the house. I mean, you can say it's uh, you can put it on the market, and these days with the aggressive bidding that's out there, um, many people are overbidding to buy a house or going above appraisal. But you don't want to necessarily want to show your cards to say that here's what the value of, for example, Newfoundland and uh, Labrador Liquor Corporation um, is worth if indeed you want to get multiple bidders um, to come in and take a look at uh, either all of it in, in kind or pieces of it, or if you want to list it as a, uh, on a stock market and sell it off that way. So in fairness to the government, I, I don't think people really understand that that's, you, you've paid for an appraisal or the, the, the people in the province have paid for an appraisal. You don't want to tell all the sellers, here's what it's worth based on a series of assumptions. Let's see what the market is going to pay for it. Because as we have seen, again, with many houses, is one thing for you to believe that, you know, your appraisal shows your house is worth 125000 You put it on the market and you get three fifty or three seventy five. God bless you. You've, you've done better. Um, and that's the, the ultimate test here. So it's something that should, as, as um, you know, trustees of the, of the, uh, the assets of um, the people of the province definitely should have had a, a um, appraisal done. That's one thing. And then there has to be consideration as to if and when to sell off what. 
I mean, the, the, the frustration I, I guess I have as an individual is that, uh, as a citizen of this province, is that we all seem to want to have costs cut, but there's the worry that the political, the, the political side will never support doing the cost cutting. So, so any uh, party that comes out and says that they will make changes to the ferry system, for example, will lose the next election because people will look at one ferry service in one area and say, well, that could happen to me here, and they will immediately shut it down, and the opposition will come out and say, I'll never do that. So, so at some point here, I'm hoping that someone will stand up and say, look, we have to get serious about these costs being cut because uh, we cannot uh, plan on having oil prices this high or iron ore prices this high, which has been, has been the boon, has been the reason that we were down to a $347 million deficit this go-round was that the price of, of mining uh, uh, products, uh, uh, shipments, increased, primarily iron ore, but other uh, uh, elements like um, nickel, and um, the price of oil went up. So again, it wasn't necessarily that the government found cost savings, it was that the revenue figure went up, and we can't rely on that, particularly when the, the possibility of a recession showing up in a number of years cuts the knees out on us just as our we need to refinance a big portion of debt. And to circle round once again with about a minute and a half left, anyone who's listening here today and uh, is watching interest rates rise and has questions or has concerns, what should they do? Uh, go back to their financial institution, ask to uh, have a comprehensive financial plan done. Uh, be careful that the comprehensive financial plan is not geared towards selling you insurance or mutual funds, that you want to have a, a, a full, clear uh, discussion about your f- personal financial circumstances, and then see how interest rates affect uh, that plan to see whether or not uh, you should be paying down on your mortgage, paying down on your credit lines, paying off your credit cards, and uh, understand the impact of interest rates uh, as they uh, rise over the next period of time will have on you. And also look to see whether or not you should be moving money away from the stock market if in fact the only reason you're in the stock market is that you were forced to be there and you really would prefer to have something that's guaranteed. Larry Short, Senior Investment Advisor with Short Financial, a branch of IA Private Wealth in St. John's. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And uh, have a great day. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. I won't be back tomorrow, but Brian Callahan will be taking over the show tomorrow. I have to take the day off. Uh, So uh, Brian has uh, gracefully um, offered to step in. So uh, stay tuned for that. He says he has an interesting show uh, in the works. Who knows what it could be? But he tells me it's really good. You don't even know. Ben Murphy doesn't even know. Wow, what a mystery. Anyway, so stay tuned for that tomorrow. And uh, I should be back on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.